Hello there. Welcome to episode 10 of the Stencil Podcast, Death by Paper Cuts. Number 10, number 10. And all I can think of is Varsity Blues and uh, Billy Bob. I give it a, a 10. A 10. I know what you're thinking. Dead on, right? Anyways, I'm your host, Joseph Richards, and you can find me on Instagram at In the Perimeter. Today, I'm joined by Rich Simmons, an artist out of London. And if you are a full-time artist or looking to make that leap and transition into becoming one, get ready to take some notes. Uh, he has such an interesting story about he came to be in the public eye for his artwork, and he gives out so much great advice that I think you're going to get a lot out of this one. So let's get to it. Rich, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So, I was just telling you, I was reading up on the YouTubes about you. You're watching on the YouTubes. Yeah. And it seems like you come from an art background, a creative background. What? At what point did you decide to get specifically into stencils? Um, I mean, going through school, I loved all different kinds of art. I loved Salvador Dali and Leonardo da Vinci and Andy Warhol and that kind of evolved into discovering things like graffiti and street art and people like Banksy and Fail. And going into London and and walking around and seeing the street art, I kind of got hooked through that. And I wanted to come home and figure out how I could do it. And I loved comic books and I loved drawing and illustration, but I also have this technical part of my brain that that likes building Lego and, and taking things apart. But I love spray paint and the immediacy of of street art and graffiti in that sense so discovering stencils realizing it combined my love of of drawing and illustration this kind of engineering uh challenge of cutting it out and figuring out how the layers are going to line up and work and then putting it putting down the stencil and spray painting and having it uh an image revealed within a couple of minutes and having that immediacy with the spray paint combined all of the things that i was already in love with and i was hooked from that point yeah, I've had a couple of people talk about it being like a puzzle and like putting the pieces together and seeing how it's all going to fit. And then that end, yeah, the uh, the peel away, the peel away porn. We've called it a couple of times. Yeah, it's uh, it's popular. It's popular. People like seeing that because it's the most exciting part of the whole. The, but people see the reveal and they think that's exciting. It was done really quickly. They don't see the the hours and the hours and the hours of designing it and drawing it and cutting it and preparing all the layers underneath it and everything so yeah people get that last little bit but they don't see the the work that really goes into it stencils is an art form and and i truly believe that it takes a lot of skill and a lot of different kinds of talents to be good at it i talked to a couple guys that make videos and they said that's kind of the hard part is people want to see that result they don't necessarily want to see us putting on like the nuts and bolts and and weighing everything down and positioning, like that's not, it's interesting to watch, but everyone likes seeing the reveals when you start peeling layers off. Yeah, but I guess it's the same in, in lots of things. You don't want to see a sports team training every day and running on a treadmill. You want to go and see them run out onto the field and play a sports game. So uh, it's it's the same with this. I, I can't take offense to that. It's um, I, I enjoy it. It's like meditation for me. So it's it's like a form of therapy. I can sit there and I can zone out and draw and cut stencils for hours and hours and that's my time. I don't want people to see that necessarily. It's for me to enjoy the process. And then if I can 
let people see little bits here and there, put it on Instagram, then uh, they get to see that bit. I saw you did kind of an Ask Me Anything maybe a few weeks ago. Yeah. Did you get a lot of, do you get like a lot of technical questions when you do stuff like that or is it? You get a few, yeah. You get people asking like, how do I, because my stencils are known for being quite crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so people are asking, how is it so crisp? Um, so I'm trying to say things like using a, a soft cap, like a soft gray dot skinny cap because it's it's a, a lower pressure so it's not going to lift the stencil up and spraying from the outside in so the pressure of the paint doesn't lift the stencil up from the outside so you don't get bleed and things like that it's patience and and how you prepare it's kind of surgical in a sense is you have to have everything laid out and you have to be methodical with it and not rush it and that's how you get good results yeah the painting part is always kind of hard for people to, to grasp onto i think i don't know it was when i started yeah you just you always feel like more is better until you peel it away and see that's that's bled through everything. Yeah, I mean, patience is is key for everything with stencils. I think in in terms of drawing it, so you make sure you don't make any mistakes. All the the markers line up okay. All the bridges um, get covered up, so you don't see all the little lines where all the crimes that you want to hide. You have to figure that out uh, and be patient with it. And then it's the same with the painting. It's if you rush it, you then have to go back a step and try and fix those bits before you can go back on with it. And it's easier to just be patient, take your time with it, and then each layer will work the way it's supposed to work. And you don't have to go back steps and, and fix things and get frustrated and and everything else. Yeah, you do a really good job of hiding your bridges. Like I was looking at some of them. And you really have to know what you're looking for to even see that they're there. And I don't know if maybe like your style kind of lends itself to that where you can have maybe more of those little breaks where it doesn't, it's not as noticeable, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I kind of figured out my own drawing. So I, I was, I started on Photoshop like everyone and making it black and white and, and doing the gray layers and then just cutting out every single little pixel I could to make it look as detailed as possible and just didn't enjoy it because it looked like what other people were doing. So it took a while to figure out how to smooth it out, figure out my own style with it, how to put bridges in there that, can be covered up smoothly but also places that don't necessarily need bridges I, i've tried to eliminate as many as possible and keep it organic and smooth on each one and then i've got my comic book style now which is more uh, a bold black outline with kind of blocky colors underneath it so you get that comic book vibe but it's drawing the black layer and cutting it in such a way that it doesn't look like it was done as a stencil it could have just been illustrated with a, a marker pen but it is spray paint as well. So it's it's a fun challenge to figure out how to how to make it work in such a way that it's there's no obvious uh, bridges and things. Yeah, and again, I think it's really just people that do it are the ones that are going to notice it. Like I've never I've never had something where like people were asking me what a stencil is, like, "Hey, what's that weird spot right there?" Yeah. So so when did you when did you kind of make that transition from from like the grayscale to to moving into the kind of the pop art stuff? Um, so my first few shows were the multi-layer kind of grayscale stencils. Uh, so it was probably around 2013. I started exploring ways that I could do things slightly differently where it was more bolder because I got more into comic books and, and that kind of style. And I wanted to try and find a way to evolve my style because everyone seemed to be doing something similar regardless of the context of the painting the the kind of grayscale multi-layer the white gray gray black that seemed to be what a lot of stencil artists were doing and i 
feel like I proved that I could do that and what could I do to move stencils forward. So I was always trying to evolve and figure out a new way to use stencils in a way that other people hadn't been. And I see a lot of people doing the kind of pop art and comic book thing, but they weren't really doing it with stencils. It was more hand painting the black lines on it, like cause does and people like that. So I wanted to find a way that I could take my stencil style, which I still love doing, but evolving it in a way that I could create more of a, a 50s comic book kind of imagery within the work and take it to another level. And it's kind of been evolving. I, I still do both styles. I still like doing the technical stuff with multi-layers. It's still fun for me to do that. But I like having multiple kind of aces up my sleeve. I can do different things with stencils depending on what story and image I want to tell with it. Well, I guess especially with that, those prints you just did with the, you can do it with the glasses. You have kind of maybe the same basic stencil, but you have so many different images you can cycle through on the uh, lenses. So that's got to be, that's got to be nice to kind of have that freedom to not totally start from scratch every time you have a new idea for that, you know? Well, it is starting from scratch because every painting I do with the glasses is a different girl. So it's always a brand new painting. It's, it's a different girl to go with a different thing that's in the lenses. And I try and add narrative within that. So for example, the, um, I just released the Starry Night Vincent van Gogh reflections. And what people don't see is that the way that I've drawn the van Gogh painting, because I have to turn the painting into a stencil style so it fits within the paintings. There's, it doesn't look awkward, even though it's a completely different style of art. It still has to match my art in that sense. Because she's a comic book character, she's having to look at it in a comic book universe, in a sense. But the shapes that I put in the painting, in the lenses, also mirrors the shapes that I've put in her hair. So there's kind of a synergy. She feels that same kind of energy, whether it's what she's seeing in the painting, is it an emotion she's seeing, whether it's something that makes her feel connected to it. I try and hide things like that in the painting. So I did it the same with the screen painting. With a, it's very shardy, if that makes sense, in um in the way that I've drawn the screen painting. So it still looks like the original, but it's more my kind of style. But then because it's more angular and lots of little lines and shards in that, I made the hair have lots of little lines and shards. So there's a synergy between the girl and the subject matter in the glasses. So it's, that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy doing is, is hiding extra layers in the painting that maybe other people won't notice at first, but when they'll, maybe they do see, it, or maybe I point it out, or maybe they hear the story behind it and they think, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I can see that shape in the hair matches that shape in the glasses with the painting. So that's, there's a connection there. So that's, that's the fun part of it is, is hiding things and creating multiple layers of, of narrative. And that's just kind of a different way of keeping pushing like the technical side while still being able to do, kind of your style yeah it's also fun for me because i'm a storyteller and i i want depth and i want the character to feel something else i don't want it to just be a comic book girl looking at a painting and make the painting look good i want there to be subliminal subconscious levels of synergy in the way that the painting is is mirroring what she's feeling or, or how she's looking the way i put the hands in there is it like the screen painting, for example, I did her so she looks scared. So she's mar- mirroring the emotion in the painting, uh, mirroring the subject matter. The girl with the, the the Van Gogh painting, she's kind of looking at it 
in awe. Same with the Mona Lisa is you see the Mona Lisa and it's just all of this kind of energy from Da Vinci, the the genius of him. I felt in awe when I saw it in person for the first time. And I wanted to convey that with the girl seeing it. So it's almost sensual uh, the way that her hands are on her lips and in her hair because she's feeling that connection to to what Da Vinci brought to the world. So yeah, it, it's a it's a fun thing to kind of not just make a nice picture, but also tell a story within it. That makes sense. It's probably going to be more rewarding too to have the meanings behind it instead of just bang stuff out. Yeah, it's more rewarding for me because I want people to not just think of it as a one dimensional image. Anyone could could really do that. You could make, take a nice picture off the internet, make a really good stencil of it, but at the end of the day, it's just a thing. But what's the what's the story behind it? What is the purpose of the art? How does it convey an emotion? How does it make people feel? How does it move people? How does it make people think slightly differently? That's the job of an artist. I just happen to use stencils to make the art, to tell those stories, to make people feel something. And that, that's the challenge. Do you have a lot of instances where people like pick up on that? Or is that something like maybe you're at a show and they ask you about it, and then you kind of go into this and then it's it goes from there? It's a combination. I think some people do pick up on it. And the more that I've done it over the years, the more people try and look for more depth because they know I'm I'm actively trying to tell stories with it. But a lot of people won't pick up on certain things. Like when I did Skullflies, for example, which is a kind of a skull hidden inside a butterfly's wing that mm-hmm. represents mental health and, and depression and that transition of taking the negative, uh, which the skull represents, and, and turning it into a positive and, and having freedom from pain through the mental health that's what the skull fly represents a lot of people at first half of them don't notice the skull in the wings they just look at it and think that's a nice (laughs) butterfly and then you see that that shock in their eyes oh whoa hey there's a skull in there and it's kind of a a fun experience to see people I, i sometimes i used to i can't really do it much anymore but when i was younger and people didn't really know who the hell i was and they and they weren't googling me they were just popping into a gallery and seeing my work I would be in the gallery and they thought I was just a sales boy. They just thought I was working in the gallery. <laughs> so I would listen in on conversations of people trying to understand the pieces and trying to pick up the narratives of it. And that was always a fun, fun experience. And especially when they didn't like it or they didn't get it, I could play with them a little bit. <laughs> Did you ever pop in and like, Hey, let me, uh, let me explain that to you real quick. Uh, a couple of times. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But they still thought I was just working in the guy. They didn't realize I was the artist telling them the story. <laughs> um, but that's that was the fun part of things. I, I used to like doing that. I don't really do it much anymore. So when you started, how did you how did you actually learn how to do stencils? Did you find stuff on the internet, or is there was there people around there that that you learned from? No. So I used to when I was a teenager, I would go down to London now and then and just walk around Shoreditch and Camden and find street art i would actively go out on street art hunts and try and find an obey poster and i had that kind of bird watching list but instead of birds it was street art that i wanted to find so i wanted to find an obey i wanted to find a banksy i wanted to find uh whoever else like was on my list at the time and it was kind of looking at them and then going back and researching it online and printing off pictures and trying to figure out how they did it and maybe cutting a banksy rat just to kind of figure out okay he cuts those shapes out and then the spray paint goes through and that's how it goes on the wall. Okay, cool. Well, 
in order to do that, if I want to do it, I need to make an image black and white and I have to figure out where to put the gap so you can have the white the white parts that the black doesn't cover over. So it's just a fun challenge for me. But I, I was the kid that would take CD players apart and, and take a giant box of Lego and try and build a spaceship with no instructions. So that's how I kind of fell in love with it was just reverse engineering what I was seeing, not really looking at a manual or seeing how other people did it. And that's how I figured out how to make stencils for myself. And, and it's been a fun journey, just kind of learning continually all the different ways that you can make a stencil. It's, it's interesting seeing a bunch of stencil artists all have slightly different techniques in how to prepare a stencil, how to draw it, how to cut it, how to paint it, how to put it on a wall, how to store it, all those different elements. Everyone's got a different technique. So I've just organically learned mine over the years and stuck with it. Yeah, that's what's been really interesting about this is, like you said, everyone kind of takes something from everyone I've talked to because everyone has just a little bit of twist on theirs. It may be something I would, you know, I wouldn't normally think about because at a certain point you kind of got your process and then that's that's what you what you do for a while until you learn something new. But yeah, you think it, you think it's just going to be you draw a picture, you cut it out, you spray paint it. It's it's if you boil it down, it is that. But there's a whole bunch of different ways to design it. There's a whole bunch of different ways to draw it. There's different ways to cut. There's different kinds of knives. There's different kinds of techniques for making. There's different ways to paint it. If you strip it down, it is literally just draw something, cut something, paint something. But within that, it can be expanded. And there's a whole array of different ways you could execute it. Yeah, I feel like there's a a whole list of maybe like micro skills that you have to end up learning the longer you do this, especially if you start getting kind of heavier into the design part of the stencils. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, being an artist, you can't just be one dimensional with it. You have to learn all these different techniques and different programs on the computer and then how to draw different ways, how to cut different ways, how to paint different things, whether it's a small canvas or a big canvas changes the way that you would approach something, whether it's going on a wall all of a sudden, a stencil on a vertical wall is a completely different animal to something laying on a desk that's horizontal where you've got gravity helping you out. Mm-hmm. So every 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 step with it, whether it's the size, whether it's the surface, whether it's the technique you want to do, changes the approach and you have to think slightly differently for every single piece. And uh, I love that. I love that part of it because it keeps you it keeps you thinking it keeps it fresh and it keeps it a challenge. And I, I love a challenge and figuring out how to do all these different things and having different styles and wanting to tell different stories and not being one dimensional with it is fun. So what does your design phase look, look like now? Are you, are you kind of hand drawing your layers on the computer and then going from there? Or It's a combination of things. A lot of the time it's, it's kind of putting something rough together in Photoshop. Um, I call it Frankensteining when I kind of take a bunch of different images, whether it's like different skulls, different species of butterflies, things like that. And I kind of take pieces of a wing from one, a skull, I, I'll rotate it and, and kind of drop it in and figure out where I can blend stuff so it looks organic. And just kind of do a really rough version in Photoshop. And then if it's going to be a, a comic book style where it's just a black layer, Usually I'll print it off really rough in Photoshop, whether it's pixelated or or kind of made black and white or, or whatever it might be. I'll draw on the light box and I'll figure out how to make it look more like a comic book. But when you're doing it 
with the multiple layers, that's where it has to be much more Photoshop based, where you have to figure out all the layers and how to hide the crimes with the, the bridges, how to make sure everything lines up, getting the right kind of depths with it. It's much more challenging to do it just freehand and make it work properly. You might as well spend a bit of time in, in the computer, make sure everything's going to line up before you then put it on the light box with 75% of it figured out already. Then you can kind of smooth things out and add your own style with a pencil, knowing a rough guideline for it, and then cut it out. But a lot of the time I end up drawing with a knife. It's, even the pencil part can be just kind of guidelines for figuring out where I want the hair to kind of roughly be. And then I'll just get a knife and I'll just cut it straight from that. I started um, trying to incorporate bridges. So I do all that in Photoshop. And there are some people just freestyle it on every layer. And my uh, my brain just doesn't work that way. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy to watch them just go to town, draw on them, and then just cut them on each layer as they go. If you've got a light box, it becomes a lot easier because you can just lay over what you've already drawn underneath it to figure out what the next layer is. So you can do it using light boxes and just figuring out where you've already drawn. Stick a piece of paper over the top of that. Draw the next layer on top of that, um, and keep keep working out using a light box so it's definitely you don't need a computer in photoshop it just there's different techniques to make it easier or more detailed or whatever it is you need to do i watched one of your videos it was it was made in london on uh, yeah. youtube and it was really interesting it sounded like you kind of almost it sounded like you kind of had to do everything in reverse almost you were doing stuff on the street and then you said you had to learn how to do stuff in a gallery while you were in a gallery Basically, yeah. So I I had always done street art from when I was a late teenager, 18, 19, 20. I would, I'd come down to London. I would bring my stencils and, and paint. And then I started working with a graffiti company and I was doing like, painting big commercial graffiti at music festivals and things like that. And it was always vertical and it was always street art and it was always outside. And I did a painting of Will and Kate just before the royal wedding, and they were dressed up like the Sex Pistols. So it was my kind of joke on two different kinds of classic imagery with the Jamie Reed Sex Pistols photo, and and wanting to portray Will and Kate, who are deemed like the next future king and queen. I wanted to make them more uh, relatable, put them in leather and ripped jeans, and make them look like the Sex Pistols, and and do that at a time when there was going to be a lot of attention and. Anything that someone did with Will and Kate was going to end up in the media. So I did that painting as just a piece of street art because I thought it would make people laugh. So me and a couple of mates went to South Bank. We, we knocked it out over a day. And by the end of the day, enough people had walked past and got talking that there was multiple TV crews, paparazzi taking photos of it. And the next day it was global press. And I hadn't planned for that. It was just supposed to be a fun day out painting on the street with some friends at South Bank in London. And the next day I'm getting galleries calling me saying, can we have one of these on canvas? Uh, and me having to say, I don't have one of those on canvas. It was just a piece of street <laughs> art. Yeah. And, uh, and them saying, okay, well, get us one ASAP and we'll exhibit it. So I had to go away and recut the stencils to be able to fit onto a canvas because they were life-size stencils. They were supposed to be like six feet tall. Mm-hmm. So I had to cut it so it was more scaled to a canvas size, and I'd never painted on canvas, and I thought it would look cool street arty, so I painted it on wood. I made a wooden canvas so I could have some of the textures and 
I ripped billboards that I'd ripped down from the street and I put that in the background because I wanted it to look like a piece of street art because that's what I was familiar with. And then I would I, I got opportunities to exhibit those and within a couple of months I was hanging next to Banksy and Shepherd Fairy and, and thinking what what's going on here? This is completely bizarre. This was not planned at all. I was doing uh doing other stuff and now all of a sudden I'm in galleries and I'm selling work for thousands of pounds out of nowhere and I had to kind of learn how to be a, a gallery artist and a fine artist and paint on canvases whilst I was already selling work for thousands of pounds next to Banksy it was a, a very weird situation where I had to kind of learn about what the gallery was saying can you do something like this can you do something like that um, can we have these kind of colors I was having to absorb a lot of information very quickly to understand how to be an artist and make the most of this opportunity and it actually took me saying to the gallery, I don't want to do this kind of art anymore. I don't want to be like Banksy. I don't want to just do stuff that's in the media and just do something that's funny to make someone laugh. I, I kind of want to, like, I've been doing stencils for a long time. Let me do something different. Uh, and they said no. So I went away and I tried a few different things and showed them, like, this is what I could do That's I think is new and unique compared to what I was doing there. And they said, no, we're not interested. So I had to quit one of the biggest galleries in London after a year and go and find a smaller gallery that would give me an opportunity to just be myself and make the art that I wanted to make. And that's when I got my first show uh, in London. Uh, I sold a couple of pieces in one of them, and then they offered me a solo show, and that was the Just Be Beautiful show. And that was in 2012. And uh, I've gone on to have solo shows all around the world. But it took me having the courage to say no to a guaranteed paycheck by making work I didn't want to make to go away and figure out who I was as an artist and prove myself that I can do it without someone telling me this is the kind of thing we want. And if it gets in the media, we can sell it quickly because it'll be funny and we can attach it to the media. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be recognized as an artist coming up with my own stories, my own narratives, and my own style, and my own techniques with how to paint things. So people would come to a gallery and look at it and go, whoa, that's different. I haven't seen that before. And it took that first year of, of being in galleries and then kind of trying to tell me what to do to take a step away and, and do it myself and, and prove that I could do what I wanted to do and be an artist in my own right. You also mentioned in that video that you, you kind of never really know what's what's going to end up going viral because I guess you had that one and then you did the um, the Batman Superman one. Yeah. And then that one caught on kind of the same way uh, later on. Yeah. I mean, you can have a, a sense of like picking up on a, on vibes of what you think will go viral potentially, or what you think could have an impact. And when I did a show called Kryptonite in 2014, it was all superheroes and it was all comic books. So I'd been laying the foundations a year before, cause I knew I wanted to do this Kryptonite show. So the year before I'd started to change my style and attach more comic book elements in the work. So people weren't completely shocked that I went from one stencil style to another. I'd kind of teased them that I could do it and laid the foundations for this superhero comic book show. And within that, I was trying to tell different stories, but using superheroes to convey the messages of capitalism and fashion and, and sexuality and everything like that. So doing Superman and Batman people think oh it's just two guys kissing but it's actually more in depth it's more about exploring 
what it takes to be heroic and what it takes to be brave and, and being your true self and loving who you want to love takes bravery, especially in America at the time when there wasn't the equal marriage rights for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make a statement and support uh, equality and, and love is love and, and gay marriage. I had a lot of gay friends through the art world. So I wanted to do something to support them. So taking Superman and Batman, who they have the instant identity, you know who they are. You don't have to waste any energy telling the story for people to then get it. They get that it's Superman and Batman, so then they're hooked. Then they're asking why they're kissing and what the deeper message is. But then also going out and painting it on the street just before Superman versus Batman came out. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I already had a trip planned to America. So I painted it in London, I painted it in New York, and then I flew out to Los Angeles and did one there. And I took pictures and I wrote press releases and I sent it out and it got picked up by the Huffington Post. And then it went viral from there to the point that Warner Brothers then contacted me and I thought I was getting sued. I was about to ask. <laughs> yeah, that's not really... Uh, you get a Warner Brothers emailing you with Superman and Batman in the headlines. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> uh, but it turned out the head of the movie division wanted to buy the piece and uh, and meet me. And I ended up going to the Suicide Squad movie premiere in London. I got to go to the after party. And I met Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck, who play Superman and Batman. And I got to show them the painting and meet them. And yeah, that painting changed the world in in some ways because it got the conversation about gay equality into more media Uh, and a bunch of people i know would then reenact the painting so i had people going to the street art dressed in a superman t-shirt and their partner was in a a batman t-shirt and they would make out in front of the painting and recreate it and then people at their weddings were wearing superman and batman cufflinks and having superman and batman kissing on top of their cake Uh which I, i think is amazing because that piece of art has transcended just being my stencil and it's had a life of its own since then and that's what i think good art should do it should transcend something and and open people's eyes and make people want to parody it and want to explore new ways to approach that subject you see it enough with banksy banksy's done that so many times where he's done a painting and People have parried it and people have, have copied it and, and evolved it and, and tried to tell different stories with the imagery. And and I don't think he can be pissed off with that. I think he has to take it as a compliment because he's changed the way a lot of people view art and, and want to tell stories. And if they can use his artwork to do that, then it's it's transcended what he did originally. Well, I guess kind of on that, did have you paid attention at all about the fair use case with Andy Warhol that's been going on like in the past couple of weeks? I honestly haven't. No, I've been in my little bubble trying to sort out my studio and, and release paintings and everything, so I'm not familiar with that one. He had a, a piece, I think it was Vanity Fair in like 84. It was a painting of a prince that they put in the on the magazine and they got, I guess, the release from the photographer and then I guess they tried to use it again this year and the photographer sued him and the court said that it was not transformative enough to fall under fair use. So I was real curious like to see how that would affect maybe people like in your style are using such recognizable figures. I don't know if you get a lot of pushback on some of that stuff. I mean, that was kind of where I thought the Superman Batman was going to go, but luckily that one, that one worked out. 
I think if you're doing something positive with it, then people don't really touch it. Because I think when I met the guy from Warner Brothers, we met up in London, we had a drink together, and I got to tell the story behind the piece, and I got to bring him a print for it. He loved it because it was promoting something that Warner Brothers had an affinity for. They were supporting pro-choice and equality and everything else, and, and they saw the positive in using those characters, so they wanted it out there. If I had gone out there and I had done Superman and Batman in a in a more provocative position and it was just a lewd image just to kind of get a shock value, then yeah, they would have said something and they probably would have sent a cease and desist letter and I would have potentially got sued for it. But if you can use an image that's mainstream and that's pop culture in such a way that it's telling a story about something else, then I think you can start to go, well, it's a gray area, but... I've never really had an issue with it. So you feel like people kind of appreciate the intent? Yeah. If, if if there's a negative intent and if you're attacking someone using their imagery, then yeah, they'll attack you back. It's it's the same with how you should treat people. If you treat someone with kindness and you're polite to them, you'll get that same treatment back. If you're rude to someone, they have every right to re- be rude back. So treat people how you want to be treated. And I... I tried to have a level of respect for the subject matter that I was painting, especially with Superman and Batman, and I've done Wonder Woman and things. I've always treated it with a level of respect that people have then paid me back in return. Mm-hmm. I watched another video of you, and you were doing a mural, and it may have been it may have been that one. And it looked like you did a projector like at night and traced everything yeah. out, and then came back the next day and, and filled it in with brushes. Is that kind of your typical process for that? So this was when I was starting to learn how to go much bigger with it and you you can't cut a stencil that big it's just it becomes impossible to transport it and it's the wind's going to pick up and flap it around so i would uh, go out at night with a projector and a generator project up the image sketch it all out and then when it's daylight i can go back and fill it all in with spray paint and i can do i used to do the black lines with a paintbrush since then i figured out how to use a grid technique to do something if you can't project it because there's a building in the way for example then gridding something out and and having kind of a corresponding image with a grid on it and knowing okay that line goes from kind of halfway across that square to down to that square and, and just kind of sketching out piece by piece and then you have the image then it just becomes a giant paint by numbers but the bigger the image is the easier it is to use spray paint to do the black layers but the more detailed it is the uh, and slightly smaller it is it becomes slightly harder to get those crisp sharp lines that you would get in the stencils and i'm trying to recreate the original painting but on a much bigger scale so sometimes it's a brush sometimes it's a paint marker sometimes i can do it with a with freehand techniques and just use different caps to get it crisp lines but it's always a fun challenge i also saw you did one this was just interesting because i'm in texas did a, a mural in arkansas how did uh how did that come together So I went over to Arkansas in 2019 because they had an exhibition at the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. And it was all about Wonder Woman and Superman and the cultural impact that they've played uh, on society over the years. And I'd obviously done Superman kissing Batman. And they wanted to include that to talk about the sexuality uh, elements. There was uh, different sections of the museum that had different kinds of paintings. So I had two paintings in that show and I it was my first work in a museum and I thought growing up you have to be dead to have work in a museum so I wanted to go there and and see the pieces and just be able to say okay I've seen my work in a museum tick that bucket list off 
but I said, while I'm in Arkansas, can you get me a wall? It would be fun to come over and do some street art and then we can promote the, the museum show and my involvement. And I did a talk at the museum. And once word got out that I was coming and I wanted to do something, they were just saying, we've got all of these offers for walls. And it just ended up that they gave me the biggest wall in town that they could find, which was about four stories tall. And we just hired a cherry picker and a, a hell of a lot of paint. And I spent a week doing it. So what is that like doing something that big? I've seen other people do that on the lifts. How do you even gauge like where you are in the space? I know you just said you, you grid everything off, but like when you're up yeah. 20, 30 feet, how do you even, how do you, how do you get a sense of where you are in the painting? Because once you've kind of gridded it up and you've put the outline on, then I had a notepad with the image with the grid on. So I could kind of like mark off which square I was going to work on. So I, I knew which color was going to go where so I could fill it in. And then it's just kind of once you've done a few squares, you, you go down on the cherry pick and you take a walk back. You make sure everything's lining up and looking good. And if if your angles are slightly off, what needs fixing? And you can go back and fix certain bits. So there's just lots of going up and down, taking a look, making sure everything's going to plan and not just having tunnel vision and, and keeping your nose against the wall the whole time because that's when things go wrong. It's It's having that patience like I was talking about to be able to take a step back, looking at it from a different angle, go back do the next few squares, make sure that's gone well, and just be super methodical with it. And that's a long day on those lifts too. I've done construction and you're just on those all day. Yeah, well, that was a that was seven days to do that, that painting. Yeah, you kind of feel like you've been on a ship the whole day. You just get those kind of jelly legs and, and you'll, you'll lay in bed after a long shower, scrubbing all the paint off your arms and hands. Then you go and lay in bed and the whole room is just shaking from side to side because your equilibrium is all off. But it's it's fun. It's You spend so much time in a studio, leaned over a desk cutting stencils and painting things that actually going outside and doing it, doing something that involves a challenge and, and thinking differently is fun. I'm not much for heights either. So even in like some of those jobs, if I got up about 20 feet. That was about that was about my limit. Yeah, well, I was doing it the first day and I was going all the way to the top, putting up the grid. Uh, and someone came around and saw me up there because I was working with a high school as well, Arkansas Arts Academy. Um, and one of the teachers came around and saw me doing it. And he saw me at the top without a harness and freaked the hell out. And he drove off and came back with a harness. And he said, wear this next, next time you go up there. So I was clipped in. But I, I was just going up there and just having fun with it. I wasn't even thinking about the potential of falling. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I guess they don't have uh, OSHA out for mural paintings like they do on uh, job sites. Uh, no, well, they just said, have you ever used a cherry picker before? And I said, yes. And, uh, <laughs> they, they drove off and left me with a cherry picker. Oh man, that's wild. I couldn't yeah. imagine just leaving somebody with that. One of the things I kind of ask everybody is there's kind of like the, we all kind of agree that explaining stenciling is hard to people that don't do it. Yeah. Kind of what, when people ask you, what is kind of your preferred go-to for that? My preferred go-to for, for cutting stencils? Or just trying to explain to them like what what's actually going on. I don't. I I try not to explain it too much. I kind of <laughs> I put I put a lot of content on my Instagram at Rich Simmons Art, so people can get a feel for what goes into it. Um, but I think a lot of people that buy art and and see art, most of them don't really want to know what goes into it because they don't want the illusion to be destroyed. They don't want to appear behind the curtain a lot of times they just kind of want that reveal the last stencil that goes on film that they can kind of see the painting for the first time that's what they want to see 
they don't want to see all the behind the scenes stuff. But if people ask questions about it, I answer them all the time. I, I try and tell them what what the stages are and what steps are and, and how long it takes. And and when someone says, well, why why is that costing X amount? Well, okay, well, you're not just paying for a bit of spray paint. You're paying for all the time that it takes to come up with a narrative and a story and then designing it and all the, the, the skill set you need to be able to design it then the drawing and then the hours and hours of cutting and then the painting part plus all the years of experience that it takes to get to that plant you're, you're buying the whole package but most people are ignorant to that and they don't really want to peer behind the curtain they just want a nice piece of artwork to look at and and see the finished thing so it's uh it's an interesting one because i love being behind the curtain and figuring it all out but if if you knew how David Blaine did his card tricks, he wouldn't seem magic to you. <laughs> it's, you, you. You want that illusion of of how the hell has he done that? And I like, I don't, I don't really like seeing too many gallery shows, knowing because I can deconstruct it in my head and figure out, okay, well they've made a mistake there, and that's not been painted correctly. And like, I'll go to a Banksy show and I'll come out of it sad because I see how he's done it and and all the things that aren't right with a piece that could have been right if it spent a little bit more time doing it but that's not his thing he doesn't need to worry about that he's just trying to tell a story quickly but i see it it's like a musician hearing an album and thinking that snares too too bassy or whatever it might be it kind of ruins it if you look too deeply into it so i like seeing artwork that i don't know how the hell they've made it because it's it's more like whoa I can I can appreciate a lot more and I don't want to question how they've done it because I like feeling in awe of someone's talent. So I I don't tend to peel the curtain back far enough that it, it ruins the illusion for some people because it is a lot of just hours and hours and hours of me in a studio alone drawing and designing and cutting and hurting my back and hurting my hand and complaining to myself and swearing when I, I i slip up or something and people don't really want to see all of that they just want to see the finished result that's fair that's kind of like a thing in the trades too where you wonder why a plumber costs a hundred dollars an hour to come tap on one spot and it's like what you're saying well you're you're paying me like say a dollar to tap on the spot you're paying me the other 99 to know where to tap so you're exactly yeah so you're paying for the whole package even though you don't see what's gone into where you can diagnose something so quickly. So same as you. Yeah. It's that's what doctors go to school for a long time to figure out where to put the needle. in. if you gave me a needle, I could probably put a needle in someone, but it's going <laughs> to go in the completely wrong place and I'm going to hurt you. Yeah. So uh, go to another doctor to fix, fix what you've done to them. Exactly. So you go to an artist knowing that they've spent years honing their craft and figuring it out. So you don't have to question why it's so good. You can just enjoy what has been created so what was that like kind of when you first blew up then if you didn't have i mean i know you've been doing it a long time but as you're kind of like figuring things along and people are coming up to you maybe thinking you've already figured all that out that's got to be that's got to be a struggle right i think people still think i've got it all figured out but it's it's always a learning curve there's always something to learn there's always a new technology or a new uh, platform to market your artwork on or there's a a new thing to to figure out like for example if i want to go and exhibit in asia i have to figure out what kind of imagery people buy in asia 
So they like a lot of brand uh, like Louis Vuittons and Chanel's that sells well in Asia where it doesn't sell as well in other parts of the world. London, you can get away with putting gold leaf and diamond dust and brighter colors on paintings. But in New York, people don't buy that kind of thing as much because they like more matte based works and, and more reds and blues and blacks because it's more patriotic and people in New York in that market, they they have their Warhol and they have their Basquiat and they have their Haring and it's a matte, a matte print. So they're not going to put something covered in resin next to it because it will stand out like a sore thumb. They want something that fits in their collection. So a lot of the time, and this is one of the things that I tell a lot of artists, is you can be the best artist in the world, but if you don't know how to market it and sell it, and if you're getting the colors wrong and whatever else, you're never going to be the best artist because just having good technical skills isn't enough to ensure success in this industry. You have to be good at business. You have to be good at marketing yourself, selling yourself, being able to talk to clients, being able to understand different kind of colors that work different trends so that's always always the questions i ask galleries when they come in and say we want to exhibit you then i have to say okay well what do you sell because i've got a bunch of really nice paintings that are, are red and they say oh our best selling color is blue okay well I, i've got the stencils i can repaint it in blue so it's still new and original and i've never painted a blue version of that but if your clients buy blue i'll paint you a blue one that's the kind of stuff you have to do as an artist. And and that's what more people should be doing. They should be learning business and learning how to have success in other ways. Because at the end of the day, you're just selling a product. The fact that, that regardless of what the art is and the, the emotional content and the narrative you're trying to tell, you're selling a product. And if you want to be successful as an artist, you have to know how to sell a product, whether it's a bag of pineapples or a painting of pineapples you need to know that you can't sell a bag of pineapples in a gallery but a painting of pineapples will or if you've got a bag of pineapples you have to go to a market and sell them with the fruit stands i know that's a weird example and a weird metaphor to use but people need to learn what their market is what's going to sell how to do it and then go and make a good piece of artwork because you get good you get good business people that make bad art and they become millionaires as artists they're not good artists they're good business people they just happen to be selling art i think the best people out there the shepherd fairies of the world the ron english the david show the sandra chevrier they've got that balance of being good at marketing themselves and, and being able to sell work but they're also incredibly talented and the work is good so they've got that balance bang on of being able to be a good artist that people can appreciate and being able to sell it it's it's frustrating when you are too far on the if you're 90 percent artist and 10 percent business you won't sell much but if you're 90 percent business and 10 percent art you'll probably sell a lot of art because you're good at the business part so having a, a kind of that 2020 vision split 50 50 percentage of being good at both aspects it is key to having success as an artist shift gears real quick so i know you you hand cut have you ever considered Using lasers for some no, of your stuff? No. no, no, because I think people want to know when they buy a painting that the artist has had a hand in it. Uh, they want to know that the artist has touched the thing and they've made it and it's they're buying a skill and they're buying a talent that other people don't have. And, and yeah, lots of people can cut stencils, but I feel like I'm pretty good at it. So people are buying the fact that I'm good at what I do 
you could take the same image and do it with a robot and have it laser cut, for example, but it would lose a sense of personality and and personableness that you get with knowing that it's handmade and being able to see me cut a stencil. And if I put that on Instagram, they could see that it's handmade. Then they're like, whoa, okay, there's a lot of talent in that. That's why it's worth so much. I feel like if you didn't put that time and energy and, and experience of getting good enough to do that, you'd lose the value because it is 20 years of me cutting stencils that people are investing in. It's not, oh, he's a good graphic designer. He can print that off with a laser and then spray paint it. it it's not the same feeling that you get knowing that someone spent hours in a studio painting and crafting something. Well, yeah, I think that's true. Technically, anyone can cut a stencil, but there's definitely levels to yeah to what people can do. Well, you say anyone can cut a stencil. I think anyone can pick up a knife and cut things out of a piece of paper, but to be able to figure out how to cut shapes in in such a way that it looks good at the end of it is a is a step forward from anyone just picking up a knife and doing something. So, and at the end of the day, it is about the imagery as well. If if it's not a good image, but it's just a good stencil, who cares? Right. Some people don't want just a really good technical stencil. And you could spend a hundred hours cutting a stencil, and it won't sell. But you could spend an hour cutting a simple stencil, like a silhouette of something that has some kind of depth and narrative and meaning and and that will sell for a million pounds. Look at Banksy. He doesn't spend hours and hours cutting stencils. It's, But he's all about the narrative. He's all about being a conceptual artist and creating something that's going to create a talking point. And if he can do that with a silhouette in 10 minutes and spray it on a wall and, and be off, but it's going to be global media and sell for millions, well, he's got the smart end of the stick because he doesn't have to put as much effort in, but he's having more impact for it, more impact for the buck. But if you're going to do a 100-hour stencil but it, it means nothing you've probably wasted 100 hours and yeah you can say i'm really good at cutting stencils but at the end of the day what's the point it it's great being able to be to say you're good at something but it needs to have something to it you look at logan hicks who i think is a uh, one of the best if not the best stencil artist on the planet right now he's incredible he does them the the insanely detailed things where he, he's probably in his studio for tens hundreds of hours cutting these things out but they're beautiful so it's worth it it's worth that time that goes into it uh, and you can appreciate that but if you did a a hundred hours cutting a dung beetle for example who's going to want that on their wall at the end of the day (laughs) yeah that's true i mean subject matter matters whether it's it's simple or, or technical right so yeah it's it's working smart not hard necessarily and and sometimes you do need to put the hours in to make the vision come to life but if there's a vision that's worth the effort it's worth the effort otherwise it's it's a waste and you could have spent that time creating multiple other pieces that take less time and selling them so there's only so many hours in the day and when you also have to worry about marketing and doing the social media and talking to the galleries and doing the admin and doing the emails and preparing things in the studio and keeping it clean and everything else that comes with being an artist you don't have hundreds of hours if it's not going to sell at the end of it. You have to have that balance of of knowing, okay, I've got a month to do 10 paintings for a gallery. Okay, well, I can't spend that entire month doing one painting. So it's finding balance with everything. So how would you, how would you go about doing that? Like if you were just starting, I know at this point you kind of know 
you have your system, you you can kind of figure out what's going to sell where. But like yeah. if you were, say you were just starting today, like how would you go about figuring out? Well, the thing is, when I started, I didn't have Instagram. I didn't have YouTube. I didn't have all of those platforms to go out and research what people were doing. It took me going into London and walking around and looking at stuff and figuring it out with my eyes and then going back and, and using my hands to, to reverse engineer it. Now you have social media where you can spend a couple of hours going through Instagram and you've looked at a lot of different artwork and seen what's popular, what's getting good likes, what's getting... If an artist has only got 100 followers, they're probably either right at the beginning of their journey or they're not very good at marketing themselves or the art isn't worth looking at. If someone's got a million followers, clearly they're doing something right. And if there's a lot of people commenting saying, you're my favorite artist, this is incredible. Okay, well, there's a market for this. Maybe I should explore what colors they're using, what kind of style they're using. So it's really going out and, and learning what people are already doing going to galleries learning the history of art because there's no point just going out and making stuff if you don't know what came before you this is why i'm a, I'm a massive fan of leonardo da vinci and, and the renaissance and who came before me so i could learn about perspective and golden ratios and fibonacci spirals and put some level of science into the artwork as well because i've gone away and i've learned about who came before me and what techniques they were figuring out so I can put the rule of thirds in and I can make the work look perspectively better than other people because I've spent the time learning the science and the engineering behind it. If you're just starting out now, you have to put the, the time in to not just learn what other people are doing, what came before you, but also what the steps are. Where do you want to get to? If you want to get to a gallery show, okay, well, what work is a gallery going to pick over the, the other thousand artists that are trying to get that wall space? What is selling well what colors are doing well so i look at fashion trends i look at what the colors are for like the next two seasons uh so i know next year's colors are going to be specific things so i could think okay well if i want to mirror what's popular in in fashion and what people are looking at on instagram because they're looking at those same kinds of paintings or th th those same kind of clothes in in whatever color it might be well if i've got paintings that have synergy with the fashion as well people will pick up on that and they'll start following it and liking it and, and maybe want to buy it as well Mm -hmm. so there's so much that goes into being an artist it's not easy it's really not easy trying to be successful in this because it's not as easy as just okay i want to be an artist picking up a stencil and or a paintbrush or a spray can and, and just trying to do something doesn't cut it so it's just put the put the hours in it, it should be the same with anything if you want to go and learn any skill if you want to learn guitar you're not just going to pick up a guitar and be able to play iron maiden you have to learn how to do different chords and progressions and and how to pluck the strings and how to use your fingers how to use a plectrum how to do an acoustic how to do an electric how to use distortion pedals there's a lot of different things that goes into learning a guitar to be able to perform an iron maiden song it's a lot of practice and a lot of time it's the same with art it's going out and it's figuring out all the different elements that it takes to be an artist and it takes to do this and putting in the hours and practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and i've spent tens of thousands of hours alone in a studio practicing what I do to get to a position where I could come on a podcast and be able to impart some kind of uh, wisdom or knowledge or experience to younger people. So they think, whoa, this isn't easy. But if I can put in the hours, because I didn't go to university for this. I'm self-taught in art. I just figured it out. I went self-employed when I was 19 and I did a clothing line and I learned graphic design. I did music promotion and I figured out how to be an artist 
by doing all of these different things. And I've, I've taken everything I've learned into what I'm doing now as a career as an artist. But because I didn't go to university and because I basically failed art in college, I don't come from a background where I'm, I'm trained and I'm just particularly more talented than others. No, I just work damn hard. And I think Will Smith said that he's not the best actor in the world. But if he works, if he outworks everyone else, he'll be the most successful actor in the world. So he puts in the hours to learn his craft, to to be better than everyone. And you can't deny that. If you've got a good work ethic and you're willing to put in the hours, you can become the best at something. Well, man, I know we're coming up on an hour and I usually end up with people giving advice to people getting started in stencils. But I mm-hmm. feel like you've been <laughs> kind of dropping knowledge. I've been trying time. to do that throughout the whole thing. So I feel kind of dumb asking it now, but if you had something like maybe a parting thought for like stencil specific, if people are just getting started, uh, if you had some advice for them, maybe not so much business related, but. Yeah, I mean, there's so many resources online now to be able to go on YouTube and search. How do you make a stencil? How do you use Photoshop? Um, How do you, I know you said not about business, but how do you learn business? There's so many tutorials uh, and people doing podcasts and people doing video tutorials and people showcasing their work and how it's made. You can watch these things and figure out. I mean, Elon Musk learned how to build SpaceX by reading a few books on rockets and then thinking, well, there's a better way to do this. He went out and he did the research and he saw a gap in the market and he figured out a way to do it. If you're starting this, go out and do the research, learn about what the techniques you need do you need to learn photoshop can you just draw it do i need a light box what kind of knife to use all the rest of it there's lots of tricks and things that you can pick up and then go out and put in the time and the hours of experimenting and you're not going to you're not going to be in a gallery after your first painting yeah you have to be willing to accept that you're probably going to suck for a while like if you're learning guitar you're going to suck for a while until it starts to click and then you can move your finger from one chord to another and a lot more seamlessly and think, oh, okay, I'm better at this now. It doesn't sound stop, start, stop, start. So it's going out and it's putting in the hours and, and being prepared to not make the best art right away. And, and I say, I'll say this, it, a lot of people say it's okay to fail. It's okay to go out and do things and fail and learn from it. I don't believe that there's anything like a failure when you're doing this there's only opportunities to learn and become wiser so if a painting doesn't turn out the way you want it it hasn't been a failure because you figured out okay well i sprayed too much paint here or i used the wrong cap or i should have cut that differently or i should have used more masking tape in this part or that part whatever it might be you've used that painting as a stepping stone to become better at what you're trying to do so every step of the way is a stepping stone to becoming better at it and if you're willing to put in the time and be willing to make mistakes and be willing to make uh, mess ups with what you're doing and start again and persevere, you will get better at it and you will start to learn it like a language. Because at the end of the day, this is kind of like a language. You have to learn all these different skills and, and, and things to do with your hands, to do with your eyes, to do with design, to do with whatever else. If you put in the time, you can learn the language and it's fun. It's it's all about having fun with it as well. If it if you're not enjoying it, it's probably not the right art for you. If you pick up a knife and you start cutting things, you think, oh my god, this is so relaxing. I I, I zone out and it's like meditation. 
then enjoy it. You don't have to be a gallery artist. You don't have to sell the things. As long as it's got a benefit for you in your life, in a maybe a therapeutic sense, like I do my Art is the Cure project, and I'm, I'm fully supportive of people using creativity to overcome mental illness and other disabilities and, and problems that they have in their lives. If art can just be something you can enjoy and escape and have fun with for a bit, you come out of it with a painting or you come out of it with a knowledge or a new skill set or a new talent. That's fun. That should be the bare minimum for what you're trying to do. If you do realize you're good at this and you can potentially move forward with it, you put in more hours and you learn how to do the business. You learn how to do, to understand what galleries want and what other people are doing and what's selling and how to price it and all the rest of it. That comes later. At the first, just have fun. Just find a good release from it uh, and be willing to to have to screw up painting after painting. Don't rush out and paint on the most expensive canvas you have on your first time because it will be a waste of a canvas. Go out and paint on scrap paper make sure the stencils line up, dial it in, figure out the right kind of pressure of cap, all the rest of it, and then think, okay, I've done a few of these on different techniques. I've dialed it in. Now I'm going to do it on a canvas. But then it's also know what to do with the canvas, know what kind of base color to do it. If you've got a vision in your head, it's much easier. If you're just winging it, then you have to kind of be prepared to have colors that don't work and then think, oh, I have to start again. It's a learning process, but it's it's fun. I, I've stencils has changed my life. It's allowed me to travel the world. It's allowed me to meet some amazing people. It's allowed me to communicate different stories and narratives in the media and affect people in different ways. And it's because I went to London and because I fell in love with it and I tried to figure it out and I would come home and paint on anything I could, whether it was my my guitar or my amp or my bedroom floor, walls, whatever it was, I was painting on it and learning and having fun. And I've just accidentally fallen into a career. I was never meant to be doing this. I was doing other stuff, but I got an opportunity and I've run with it. It's There's so much you can do with art, not just trying to be the best artist in the world or have gallery shows or museums and make money from it. It can just be fun. I know you're crazy busy right now, so I really appreciate the time. Oh, it's a pleasure. I, I, I love the opportunity to, because I, I don't want to be one of these people that says, no, I'm not going to tell you how I do this because I've spent years doing it. It's a craft that should be passed on. And I it's my duty as an artist to try and inspire other people to do it as well. And if someone can go on and become a better stencil artist than me, because they looked at my stuff and figured it out in the same way that I did with Banksy, if I can be a stepping stone for someone to go and figure out their art form and become the biggest artist in the world, hell yeah, I am all for that. If that's my role in the art world, I'm I'm excited to be that. If I can inspire people to find a release through creative therapy with uh, Art as the Cure, which they can check out on Art as the Cure org, um, on Instagram and the website, learn about that side of things. If I can inspire people in that sense, then... I'm a successful artist. I never need to sell a painting as long as I can benefit the world in another way through art. I'm just lucky that I get to do both. Well, I know you're on Instagram. Anywhere else people can find you. And I know we had a lot of stuff we didn't even get to. I know you got your Artist the Cure. You got your book. Uh, that's, a, that's a podcast for another day. I'll come I was back. Say, we got, 
get that get your nfts add lots of stuff but <laughs> there's lots of stuff you can uh it's all if you go on my uh instagram or my website you can find it all at rich simmons art and then you can find the art as the cure project that i'm doing there's films to watch about it and learn and spread the word that way so i'd be more than happy to come back another day have a different discussion about a different kind of thing so bring me back in the future man oh absolutely man well once again man i really appreciate it best of luck with everything you got going on right now thank you so much my pleasure and uh i hope everyone enjoyed listening to me ramble for a while <laughs> they listen to me ramble all the time so it's probably nice to to hear have, an, else. have an have a british accent for a change yeah <laughs> that's right all right man we'll take care awesome you too thanks Thanks again to Rich for coming on to the podcast. And one of these days, I'll have to see if he can come back on and talk about some of his other projects. Uh, comments, questions, suggestions, you can email me at deathbypapercutspod at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at in the perimeter. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next episode.